This week, Brother Juan Lopez preaches on the topic of spiritual gifts. Hallelujah. Brother Golden, I asked you if you knew a song, and I was going to have you sing it later, and you were going to look it up, but was I right in understanding that once you typed it in, you realized what I was talking about, and you know it now? I'm going to ask you to remain standing. I know we've had a lot of worship, and typically we do accents with Brother Brzezinski or Sister Troxel because they will just do very good at a 25-minute sermon, and they'll blow us away in 25 minutes. And so I have prayed tonight, God, anoint me like you do Sister Troxel and Brother Brzezinski and save this class from a 45-minute message. And here's how I think it's going to happen. You're going to allow us to sing one more song because I was listening to it on my way over here and the power of God fell in my car and it just reminded me I love him. And I asked Brother Golden just to sing it for us. If you would, let's worship with him. If you know it, sing it with me. Well, not because I've been so faithful I've been so good You've always been there for me It's all I ever need When I was lonely Bearing all my pain Guiding my footsteps My shelter from the rain Jesus, I love you
Jesus, I love you, I love you, because you care. Just your voices now. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, because you care. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Because you can. Jesus, I love you. seated it's been a wonderful day for me it's been a challenging day for me it's been a busy day for me it's been a lot of things for me when I was reading through my notes I was in my office I was working late because we were on vacation all last week and then I'm here three days, and then I'm leaving for the Georgia trip with many of you guys in this group here, and we'll be gone Thursday and Friday. So it's just an overload of work and trying to get everything done, and everybody's barking that I'm letting their thing fall through because their thing is more important than the other guy's thing, and it's just an interesting day. But when it came, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock, I just put it all away. Whatever was done was done, and I started reading through my lesson for tonight and just praying and God just moved in a very powerful way there in my office. And I just felt him just kind of speaking to me that he was going to lift me out of some weariness. That he was going to help me to come out of maybe, I don't know if it was doubt that I had or if it was a lack of faith that I might have been struggling with, but I felt that. And I was just so impressed that I wasn't aware that I had that going on. In fact, I thought I was really far past that because God's done some pretty amazing things in my life the last month or so. And I just was feeling like I was on a spiritual high maybe. But apparently there was something in there. But without even knowing it, God reached right in in a moment of surrenderance. Didn't know what I was surrendering for. But God, boom. And I felt strengthened. Let me just encourage you. If you will put yourself before God and you will be vulnerable, He'll speak to you. 
He'll shape you. Things you may not have recognized, He'll deal with. And you will come out stronger. God is good. Tonight, and I meant it with my whole heart, that the spirit of Kevin and the spirit of Sister Troxel will fall upon me, and I'm going to do my very best to convey to you guys what I have felt for the last few weeks is one of the greatest challenges of my life. Brother Mooney has declared from the pulpit and in many different settings recently that he is feeling something taking place at Calvary Tabernacle. That something is shifting in our day and specifically in our city and that Calvary is to be a a very integral part in the revival that is to take place here in Indianapolis. And when he gets up and he speaks to that and he starts to go into it as far as defining how Sunday nights should be so that a person, a stranger, a person that may not know Christ, a backslider possibly, could enter into this lighthouse, this safe place, Calvary Tabernacle, and they could be impacted in such a way by the power of God, not by Kevin Brzezinski, not by Pastor Mooney, not by myself, not by any of you, but by the sheer power and presence of God in such a way that in that moment, in that sitting, in that one service, they could be absolutely changed like God did for every one of us in this room. And when he speaks like that, as a man of God, as a pastor of the church that I go to, as the authority in my life, as a licensed minister sitting underneath my pastor, I felt challenged. And I have not been able to get away from it because he is, he is speaking out of his heart, but he's one man. And there's all of us, and there's a small group of us here. There's a thousand of us or so that join together in service on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings on any given Sunday. And he's conveying his heart. This message is not Pastor Mooney's. It's a message from God delivered to Brother Mooney that he has to somehow convey to us in a way that would capture our hearts, that we would get behind it, and that we would allow it to drive us, that when we would enter in those services, we would be prepared as vessels, that you would be a tool, Kevin. The world plays with that. Don't be a tool. Don't let somebody use you. And it's right not to let another man take advantage of you or use you. But when it comes to God, be a tool. And that's what I have felt and I've been stirred thinking to myself, God, what is it that I can do to prepare myself? What is it that I can do as a leader of a young adult group to help get behind my pastor and speak to them and encourage them and help prepare them for the spiritual breakthrough that's getting ready to take place? And this message is what has been on my heart. Spiritual ministry. Subtitled. What's love got to do with it? Spiritual ministry. What does love have to do with it? In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get a look at all of the spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, we get instructions on the use of these gifts. And right there, smack in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, wouldn't you know it, chapter 13. The love chapter. John MacArthur says, this is because love is the only atmosphere in which the gifts function properly. 
He goes on to say this becomes critical to understanding all spiritual ministry. Spiritual ministry at its broadest level is the subject of chapter 12. Spiritual ministry at the point of its specific application is the theme of chapter 14. And right here in 13 is the environment where ministry must happen. So if I was to ask you, in your mind, what is the greatest revival ever recorded in history? What would you say? You don't want to say? Jerusalem, Azusa Street, Wesley. Those are all great revivals. Philippines, great revival. Ethiopia, great revival. I would venture to say that the greatest revival that ever took place would be that recorded in the book of Acts. The revival that took place at the birth of the church, where the power of God that was brought and allowed to come into the lives of man through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ first is imparted in the book of Acts. Those guys are described as the ones that turn their world upside down. The numbers are staggering, and we know that what we read is at all that was recorded, that we're just getting fragments of the revival that actually took place because no one really knows outside of God everything that happened in these revivals. So when I think about spiritual ministry, and I hear the voice of our pastor talking about a great awakening, a powerful move of God in Indianapolis and in Calvary Tabernacle. I can't help but allow my mind and my heart to race back to the great revival that took place in the book of Acts. And when I desire from God to know what I can do to be a part of that revival. How can I encourage others to be a part of that revival? I get drawn right back to the book of Acts so that I can see what took place. How did you do it, God? When you filled them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've also filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You changed your life. You've also changed my life. So what is it that they did that I'm missing and I need to do? And as a church, if we can ask that question, I got a text today from Janae's brother. It was on my way from the office to church, and he was talking about sitting at breakfast with a group of men, and they asked him what his prayer request was, and his answer was, I've been very blessed lately. I would just ask that God would strengthen me and help me to continue to grow. I thought before I responded, and I said, there is not a more pure prayer request than to ask God just to strengthen you and help me grow. Let me get closer. So tonight, I'm just asking you, have a heart for a few moments. Brother Vite asked for 10 minutes. I'm going to ask for 15 minutes. And I'm going to ask that you would just let God speak to you on what I feel like He has challenged me with that will be necessary. And if we can get a hold of it, if you will let God challenge you with this, then I promise 
I promise, I know, I feel it with every ounce of my being that the revival that Brother Mooney is seeing in his visions that's awakened him out of his sleep, that has got him talking about it everywhere he preaches, will be absolutely within here in our presence with vessels like me and you to be used of God. The spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. The revival that took place in the book of Acts was a spiritual revival. You didn't have men and women that had great oratory skills. You didn't have them dressed up really fancy. They didn't have the best PA systems. They didn't have the best platforms, the best living conditions. It wasn't like that for them. So we can't look to those things and say that those would be the source. We don't have the best brand like they had. We don't have the best attire like they had. We don't have all of these things That wasn't it. That wasn't present. What was present in that revival was the power and the anointing of God in such a way that it could flow freely, that the gifts of God could be present. So that God was not just filling people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is powerful when God changes somebody's life. When they repent, when they're baptized, when sins are washed away, when boom, He fills you with the power of the Holy Ghost, takes control of your life. But if it stops with the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that's not enough. It's not about you just receiving the Holy Ghost. It's got to be able to manifest itself in your life. That was the key to the apostolic revival because the gifts of the Spirit could operate within their lives in a way that when God came up against something, He could trust that He could operate through John Brown and He could minister through a gift in the Spirit to the people that are in need. Or Kevin Brzezinski could be in a situation and God could need to minister in a specific way and he could settle in upon Kevin Brzezinski and the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, not the gifts of Kevin, not Kevin's talent, not where he's been, not who he knows, but God, the gifts of the Spirit could operate through him. How do you win the world? You let God do it. How do you make the difference? you got to step back because it's not going to be just your Bible knowledge and your quoting of scriptures. It's not going to be just your modest lifestyle. It's not going to be just your faithfulness to church. It's going to be your willingness and acceptance that God reaches this world through the power and the gifts of His Spirit and He has to be able to operate throughout the body if He's going to effectively do so. Now listen, I'm not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, meekness and joy and long-suffering. Those things have to be present. Christians love to go after those things because those things are noticed by people. Those things are well accepted. They like folks that are kind. They like folks that are long-suffering, folks that are mild, folks that love. Everybody likes those folks. But the gifts of the spirits aren't always pretty. You're not always popular. You don't always look good when you have to let God speak truth into somebody's life that you don't even fully understand. You're just being a vessel that He can use. The revival that took place in Scripture was a spiritual revival. It was ministry at a spiritual level. 
Now, I'm going to go quickly through Corinthians chapter 12 because people get scared when we start talking about spiritual gifts. And my job tonight is to convince you that you don't have to be scared of them, that you don't have to be worrisome if God's going to place it upon you because we understand through Scripture that if you are filled with the Spirit, then you are absolutely supposed to be praying for the gifts of God to be used in your life. That's the desire that he wants to do with you. That's how he uses you to reach others. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Verse 3, he makes a strong statement. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Obviously, there was trouble in Corinth. We know about the spiritual craziness. They were acting in all sorts of gifts. They were doing them out of order. They were coveting the gifts that would make them look more popular. They were desiring the gifts that would appear to other men as desired gifts. And they would try to function in those gifts. And you ended up with total chaos. You ended up with one man jealous that this guy has a particular gift instead of praying God use me for what you intend to use me for place upon me the gift that will benefit the people the most they would pray for those gifts that look the best that were the most attractive that made them appear to be the most anointed or the most important well verse 3 just wants to get one thing out of the way he says that anybody that's claiming to be used of God in the spirit and calls Jesus the cursed is not of God. So understand one thing, that operating in the Spirit, you don't just believe everything you hear. Everything's not accurate. Everything's not true because somebody claims to be operating in the Spirit. Not just in this instance where they curse Jesus Christ, but in any instance where they claim to be operating in the Spirit, where it's contradictory with Scripture, not spiritual. So you do need to judge these things. You need to be aware of them and believe that nobody is calling Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all of these worketh that one and the self same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Verse 11. Verse 11 in another translation, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now here's what he's doing. He's dealing with people who are operating in the Spirit, but it's out of control. He doesn't want to shut down the operating of the gifts of the Spirit. Even when it is total chaos, he steps in and just tries to bring them to the understanding of how they are to operate. Why? Because if you shut down the gifts of the Spirit, you shut down the operating and the growth of the church. You can't get there without the operating of the gifts of the Spirit. 
Those must be present, operating within the body of Christ if we are to reach our world. We will never be known as the apostolics at Calvary Tabernacle who turned Indianapolis upside down outside of the operating of the gifts of the Spirit. You don't get there. And so he's making known to everybody, look, there's a lot of gifts. It's the same Spirit. It's one God that gives them to you as he wills to do so. So you don't have to feel that your gift is less than their gift. In fact, later on in this chapter, he speaks to the point that that gift that you think is so uh, lowly and, and no good is actually one of the most effective gifts of all. The ones that don't look great, the ones that don't draw attention to you, the ones that you wasn't praying for before because people wouldn't admire you for being active in those gifts, those gifts are important and powerful. And know that, know that I choose which gift you need. You know why God chooses it? It's not like you have a gift upon your life and you just want the gift of healing and you just walk around, bam, 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 bam. I would have ran back there and grabbed Gideon's arm if I had that gift just following me everywhere I went to heal his arms and his hands. God gives you gifts that are needed at the very time when they are needed. Because he knows all things. He knows all needs. He knows what's necessary. He knows what will impact their life. He knows what will make a difference. And so he chooses at those times. What I believe within all of my heart is that we have become so afraid of the act of spiritual gifts that we don't allow them to truly work in our lives. We bring them to a hindrance and in many cases a halt. It's not spooky. It's not out of order. It's exactly what God designed. Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Desire the higher gifts, not the gifts you desired before that appeared to be higher, but desire the gifts that will impart the greatest benefit. It's simple. Pray for the gift that is needed in any specific time or situation. Here's an example. God told Solomon, ask of anything you want. Solomon asked for wisdom. Why? To lead the people that God put him over. You just simply ask, God, give me the gift. God, give me the power to accomplish the task you have set before me. I'm not asking for anything more. I'm not asking for anything less. It doesn't have to be attractive. It doesn't have to look good. Whatever that gift is, I will allow it to operate in my life and function in my life until it has completed the task you intended it to complete. If you can rest in assurance in Christ in such a way that you would allow His Spirit to move within your life in a freeness to accomplish its will, and your pride is not there, and your arrogance is not there, and your attitude is not there. That's why we walk right out of that statement to pray for the higher gifts and to know that He's going to show us the more excellent way. There's a way to operate in these gifts that will keep you out of the trouble that you have been in, out of the contention that you're experiencing, out of the confusion that you're causing, and we can show you right in chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, 
I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profited me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What does that mean? How does love outstand prophecy and knowledge and tongues? Because there is coming a day, my friends, when the knowledge will be complete. When the prophecy will no longer be necessary. When we're no longer going to see in part because we will be there. In the presence of Almighty God, with our eyes fastened upon Him, worshiping, crying out, Holy, no more fear, no more pain, no more sorrow. And when we're there and all of those other things vanish away, you will be certain that you are there in the very essence of love. Somewhere in Scripture it says that God is Love. Look at the Ten Commandments and the first four are going to be dedicated to showing you how to express your love to God. The next six are going to show you how to express your love to your neighbor. Later in Scripture, Jesus dwindles it down. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love your God. The second one's likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Ephesians says, speak the truth. In love. You can't speak truth outside of love and make a difference. You can't be the preacher that calls everybody out from the pulpit out of a desire to look good and powerful and make a difference. But you can be the man of God, the woman of God that speaks to somebody in love and you can grasp upon their coat sleeve and pull them out of the gates of hell. Love. What's love got to do with it? Everything. We get nowhere and love God so love the world. You enjoy the peace, the presence, the power, the anointing, the freedom of God, the healing power of God because He loved you. No other reason. Kevin, He loved you. Rachel, He loved you. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. He doesn't just love you. He loves this entire world. And because of the love that we have felt, the experience in Him that we have, it is our duty to make sure that we find ourselves actively being used in the gifts of the Spirit. Stand with me. Brother Golden, if you would come.
I truthfully could have broken this down and preached on this topic for three days because I feel it so strong burning within my body. Some Christians run from chapter 13 because it's the chapter of love that other denominations or religions will use to destroy apostolics. How wrong they've got it. It affirms everything we believe, everything that we teach. It co-signs everything about chapter 12 and everything about the power of God and the ministering of His Spirit. We have got to be a people that are about the spiritual ministry. Not because we want to say we want to go back to the good old days, but because we want to go back to what it is that God uses to reach this world. We witnessed it, we read about it, we understand it, we teach it, we preach it, and now it's time to allow it to just flow. My prayer tonight is that God would begin to take fear away from each and every one of us. That we wouldn't feel like we were too small, too inadequate, not special enough, not good enough, not popular enough, not wealthy enough to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. That God would wipe away that mindset that somehow has settled upon you that the spiritual gifts of God are for weirdos and for crazy people. That they only belong to the phonies and the TV ministries. That God could give you a pure understanding of what the gifts of the Spirit will do. How they will revolutionize everything about your life, your ministry, and everybody that you come in contact with. If God could somehow just challenge you to recognize that being filled with His Spirit is not where it ends, but that allowing that Spirit that dwells within you to manifest itself through the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus' name. God, we want to see you move. God, I don't want to be a part of self-gratifying church, a ministry that makes me feel good, a ministry that just makes me look good. I don't want to appear to be something that I'm not, God. I want to be a man of God. I pray that this group would become faithful in men and women of God who would submit themselves and be vulnerable enough before you, God, that your spirit could be active in any given minute of their life, God, whether they be at work in the midst of co-workers, God, whether they be in line at a gas station, whether they be behind a pulpit preaching, sitting down at a desk teaching, God, whatever they find themselves doing, let them be prepared and willing to listen to your voice, God, willing to allow your spirit to speak and to work and to manifest and to touch the life of somebody who needs it, God. If there has ever been a day where we need to see the power of God active in our lives and in our ministries, it is right now. They said it wouldn't happen 20 years ago. And laws are being passed that are pushing us back. They said they would never teach these things in our schools. But today they teach these things in our schools. They said conservatives would never vote for that. But today they vote for that. We need a demonstration of the power 
of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I pray, set us free from the mindset of fear. God, let us be strengthened and empowered by your Spirit. Let us desire the gifts that will impact the greatest. Jesus' name. Jesus. Yes, God. Let this be a church where your power will flow. Let this be a church where healing can take place. Let this be a church where demons can be cast out. Let this be a church where people can speak of faith. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Everyone says that power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. That's something that the world has coined because man has fallen. But what we know is all power, all authority belongs to God. And He's never been corrupted. He's never been broken. He's never misused His power, not once. But we are human. And with the gifts of God comes responsibility. The responsibility is that you would operate out of love. The mindset you've got to walk in is one of love. When you come into church, when you come into uh, conversation with people, when you talk to somebody, when you, when you come up against something, it's got to be an attitude of love because love will prevent you from ever getting to that place where it's about you. Because love is giving. Agape love is a love that just gives. That's the love we possess. That's the type of love and atmosphere that God knows that He can flow through correctly, peacefully. He can impact. What am I saying? If we can be a church that is so in love with God, a people that are consumed by love, the love of God, not the love of anything else. And we will submit ourselves to the way that God intends to reach this world. We will change Indianapolis. You cannot do it on your own. God can do it through.